terre de soleil. Está na companhia do Serviço em Língua Portuguesa do Canal África, a voz de Renascença Africana que transmite a partir dos seus estudos centrais de Oakland Park, cidade de Johannesburg, África do Sul. Sochitika mu Africa. Informing the world about Africa, Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. What we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of Tiwonge and uh, Stephen. The position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting. Well, good morning and welcome to yet another installment of African Dialogue. Thank you for joining us here on Channel Africa, the African Perspective. My name is Benjamin Mushatama. Remember, we are on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa, Channel 802 on uh, the audio bouquet on uh, DSTV. You can also join us online on www.channelafrica.co.za where you can stream us live. Well, to wrap up our Africa Month series, uh, today we'll be looking at the transformation of the African Union and a look at the difference since uh, it was established uh, and also how different is it from uh, the organization of African Unity uh, that was founded by the founding fathers such as the Kwame Nkrumahs and the Haile Selassies with that Pan-African vision in mind. Well, we'll look at that after our news with Anne Musa. In the headlines, Egyptian President Abdel Fattah al-Sisi and Russia's foreign and defense ministers discuss ways to battle terrorism. Authorities in Morocco arrest a fugitive leader of a protest movement that has shaken the country's northern Rif region. And scientists in the United States make a breakthrough in the fight against antibiotic-resistant infections. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Moussa. Egyptian President Abdel Fattah al-Sisi has held talks in the capital Cairo with Russia's foreign and defense ministers on ways to battle terrorism. A statement says the talks with Russia's foreign minister Sergei Lavrov and the defense minister focused on the struggle against terrorism and bilateral cooperation. The Cairo talks came after Egypt's air force on Friday bombed jihadist training camps in eastern Libya. The airstrikes were launched hours after masked gunmen shot dead 29 Coptic Christians in central Egypt in an attack later claimed by the Islamic State group. Authorities in Morocco have arrested the fugitive leader of a protest movement that has shaken the country's northern Rif region. The prosecutor of the northern coastal city of Al-Husema says Nazir Zev Zafi, who had been on the run since Friday, was detained along with other individuals. They will be investigated for undermining the security of the state and other criminal acts. 
The Rif region has been shaken by social unrest since the death in October of a fishmonger crushed in a rubbish truck as he protested against the seizure of swordfish caught out of season. South Africa's President Jacob Zuma's popularity has plunged to an all-time low. According to the latest Ipsos poll, nearly two-thirds of South Africans think the president should resign. The survey found that 62% of ANC supporters disapprove of Zuma, while only 18% completely support him. Zuma had the support of 54% of ANC voters last December. His popularity has plummeted after his cabinet reshuffle in March and consequent credit downgrades. About five shops belonging to foreign nationals have been looted and burnt near Kwamashu Hostel, north of Durban in South Africa's KwaZulu-Natal province. This comes after locals went on a rampage and attacked businesses belonging to foreign nationals. Various police units are on the ground trying to disperse angry mobs. Meanwhile, a number of locals have been arrested. And finally, scientists in the United States have made a breakthrough in the fight against antibiotic-resistant infections. The infections are estimated to be responsible for the deaths of around 50,000 people a year in Europe and the United States. The BBC's Jenny Walrod reports. The World Health Organization says resistance to antibiotics is one of the biggest threats to global health. Scientists at the Scripps Research Institute say they've managed to modify the antibiotic vancomycin, creating a version so powerful they've labeled it as magic. Vancomycin was becoming ineffective and the new version of the drug is 1,000 times more powerful. Recapping the top stories, Egyptian President Abdel Fattah al-Sisi and Russia's foreign and defense ministers have discussed ways to battle terrorism. Authorities in Morocco arrest a fugitive leader of a protest movement that has shaken the country's northern region. And scientists in the United States have made a breakthrough in the fight against antibiotic-resistant infections. Well, thank you very much, Anne, for that news update. Remember, this is African Dialogue, and we come to you every Monday to Thursday at 1100 hours Central African time. Remember, you can interact with us via our Twitter handle. Our Twitter handle is at Channel Africa One or at African Dialogue. Remember, you can also SMS us your thoughts uh, in different parts of the continent. Uh, you're welcome to SMS us your thoughts on the conversation we're having today on plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero, or you can email us at info at channelafrica.org. Let's go get into our topic of uh, today, looking at the transformation of the African Union uh, from the Organization of African Unity. Well, the African Union was launched in the year 2002 with the aim of replacing the Organization of African Unity, or the OAU, which was founded by Africa's founding fathers, the likes of Kwame Nkrumah and Haile Selassie, with a real pan-African vision in mind. Now, the original OAU was uh, created 
created to ensure uh, greater unity and assert independence for African countries after the decolonization project was achieved on the continent. However, the OAU was disbanded in 2002 with South African President Tabombeki being the last chairperson of the organization and was replaced by the African Union. Now, the AU is a continental body with up to 55 member states and has become uh, a body which is now focused on economic integration issues and peace and stability on the continent. Now, to help us look at the transformation of uh, this organization, we joined on the line by Professor Idumeleng Musala, who's the ex-president of uh, Zapo, and also we've got Professor Dak Kutse, who is uh, uh, joining us uh, from the School of Political Science at UNISA. But before we get into them, I want us just to listen briefly to uh, uh, Julius Nyerere speaking about uh, a colonization. You're still different from Tanzania, but you have no money. You're still more powerful. So for Tanzanians and the others to say, you know, South Africa's big brother, they must not throw their weight. What kind of weight? <laughs> and in any case, and in any case, this would be this would be positive weight, not the negative weight. So this is a different Africa. So I'm saying this Africa now is changing. Neocolonialism is being fought, I think, more effective. We have a new leadership in Africa which is going to fight neocolonialism more effectively. Now, that's the voice of Julius Nyerere of Tanzania, one of the founding fathers of the OAU. And we know that alongside him were the likes of uh, Dr. Kwame Nkrumah of Ghana. We know also that uh, Haley Selassie, who was the emperor of Ethiopia at the time, were also really central figures of establishing the OAU. Well, to help us, as I mentioned, we've got two professors on the line. And also, let me bring in Manusha Pillay, who is the director of Stakeholder Relations and Communications at Human Sciences Research Council and also has been involved in the current African Union. But let me start with you, Professor Itumileng Musala. I know that in 2013, Africa marked the big moment for the uh, African Union because the African uh, Union was marking a 10-year anniversary of the African Union. In the same year, it was also marking the 50th anniversary of the Organization of African Unity. Now, look at these two organizations almost one kind of theme that does thread between the two but are there distinctive differences between uh, the OAU and the AU Professor Mosala are you there I am here sir okay fantastic can you hear me very clearly there of noise in the background there Okay, I'm not quite sure what's happening. I think we've struggled with this particular line as well. But let me see if I can uh, get Professor Dirk Kutsi and see if his line is okay. Professor Kutsi, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Okay, fantastic. Manusha Pile, are you there? Can you hear me clearly or are you also having the same problems as Professor Musala? It's better now on my side. Okay, Manusha, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Okay, fantastic. I can hear you both. Now, let me start with you, Professor Masal. In terms of the first question I was going to ask, in terms, is there a distinctive difference between the OAU and the AU? 
the, the noise has come back i'm afraid uh, okay well, let's see okay we're gonna we have yeah. to kind of see if we can uh, sort out that line for you and uh, we'll come to mr dirk Kutsia. the guys will have to drop that line there in the background because there is a problem there so let me come to you professor dirk Kutsia, and ask that question for the third time now because of our lines are very much giving us problems there but uh, do you see a, a distinctive difference between these two bodies that i've just introduced they're the same thing almost one is a metamorphosis of of the other, but are there differences? Between the African Union and the OAU? Yes. Yes, no, there's certainly there's, there's a huge difference between the two. Um, the OAU was formed with a very particular objective, and that is to assist with the independence process of African countries in general. So it was, uh, and at the same time then, of, of establishing or pursuing the, the ideal of pan-Africanism, mm. especially in the early 1960s when persons like uh, President Nkrumah and Julius Nerere and Kaunda and Kenya, Kenyatta and others, they all shared the same uh, aspirations. They have different interpretations of it, and they, we know that they were also in the establishment of the OAU. Mm. There were different schools of thought about exactly what pan-Africanism entailed, um, but that were the, the unifying sort of objectives of the OAU. Um, just, with, with, mm. with the African Union, mm. obviously it is now in the period, in the post-independence period, except for uh, a, a country like uh, the Western Sahara, the Saharan Republic there. But otherwise, it is now in the, in the era of, of, of programs like NEPAD, of bringing Africa into the global mainstream of, of the economy um, in terms of introducing mechanisms like the African peer review mechanism mm. of having the, the Peace and Security Council of the African Union to deal mm. with, with peace and, and conflict issues on the continent and then also to coordinate the different um, economic um, and regional economic uh, communities in order to build pillars within on the continent, the five at least, uh, ECOWAS, SADC, East African Community and others, in order to ultimately try to unify Africa from a different perspective than those of the 1960s, which was more of a political one. This is using both a political and the economic mm. one, but starting very much with an economic approach. Mm. Now, Professor Tukutsi, I want us to take, us, take, uh, to take you back a little bit from uh, the OAU before we get into the African Union and its current mandate. Uh, we know that the likes of Dr. Kwame Nkrumah from Ghana, Modibo K from Mali, Sekuture from Guinea, Julius Nyerere from Tanzania, Ben Bella of Algeria, uh, Haley uh, Silasio yeah. of Ethiopia, uh, Abubakar Tafawa Balewa of Nigeria, Jome Kenyatta of Kenya, and others had their own vision for Africa and was really inspired, as you say, of this Pan-African movement. Now, these leaders hail from a period of uh, the decolonizing of Africa, and this area has been romanticized as an area of of the pursuit of this African unity. Uh, do you think that they did achieve this um, African unity that we were speaking about, Professor Kutsia? In a more overall political, philosophical sense, yes, but in a strictly political sense, like with the OAU, no. Um, the OAU is more like a confederate state. Um, the, the states, as they become, as they proceed from their date of independence onwards, they become more and more jealous about their own sovereignty mm-hmm. and about their own statehood. 
think about the importance of, of presidents, uh, the importance of the military and mm -hmm. the build-up of the military. It was also obviously in the context of the Cold War. So the two main poles within the Cold War, they also in a sense encouraged that, mm -hmm. um, of of building up the the, 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 the powers and the, and the status of individual states because that suit them at that stage that uh, the different in, in uh, African countries see themselves as part also of a bigger unit um, and not only in, in the African context but also as part of the either the East or the West. Mm -hmm. um, so these all contributed to the notion that the state becomes the, the primary focus of attention at that stage in African countries or on, on the continent um, and, and not so much the continent as a whole and therefore the notion of a pan-African government, for example, those, those ideas of Nkrumah especially, um, they to a large extent evaporated over, over a period, but the philosophical notion mm. of that, that continued. And I think later on it also became strengthened by, for example, the role of uh, the diaspora in many, many other parts of the world that, con that in, ironically and sometimes was stronger on the pan-Africanist concept than those within the continent. Mm. Let me bring it to Professor Itumileng Musala. Is that much better for you, Professor? It is much, much, much better, yes. Thank okay, you. fantastic. It's good to hear from you, and I'm glad that we're communicating very clearly now. Professor Musala, I've been asking Professor Dirk Kutsi around the, the differences between uh, the African... Uh, the Organization for African Unity and the the AU, and from Professor Dukutsia, he's highlighting there are uh, different themes that are actually persuaded by these two organizations. Yes, they might have a threat to them in terms of one is inheriting the mandate of another. But def definitely, from uh, Professor Dukutsia saying that there is a difference between your thoughts around these two organizations, Professor Musa. Yes, well, I, well, the issue is that the one was the product of the anti-colonial struggle. Mm -hmm. um, I did hear Professor Kutsia making the correct connection with um, the period of the likes of uh, Kwame Nkrumah uh, and the other older national liberation leaders mm -hmm. uh, on the continent, uh, in Kenya, in, in Zambia, and in you Lumumba. Know, uh, up in the West, um, the, the, the OAU was a direct product uh, of the national liberation struggle and its, its focal agenda was always um, the liberation of the continent, to, to liberate the continent and then of course to unite it. Um, as we know, Kwame um, Nkrumah uh, used the model of the United States of America and talked about the United States of Africa. Mm. Uh, but the United States of Africa was predicated uh, on the decolonization of the continent, uh, the freedom of the continent, and then the unification uh, which was intended to achieve the economic development of Africa. The OU, on the other hand, which is really a, a product uh, of uh, of uh, mm. uh, the African Union, which is a product of the OAU, mm. um, uh, kind of assumed that um, that liberation had been achieved. Mm. 
Mm. Well, I'm gonna, uh, sure. and it, it limited it limited mm. liberation to political independence. Mm. Well, I'm, therefore, I'm, everything that it has been trying to do has mm. been a function of that notion of liberation as political independence. Mm. Well, I'm going to come back to those issues of that those kind of uh, inheritance that we, we received after the establishment of the African Union. Well, we speaking there to uh, Professor Itumiling Musalu, who's the ex-president of the Zanian uh, People's Organization, and Professor Dekutsia, who's from the School of Political Science at UNIS. And also, we will touch base after the break with Manusha Pillay, who's the director of the Stakeholder Relations and Communications at Human Sciences Research Council. I'm going to take a quick break, and then we'll We'll be back. Hello and welcome to Channel Africa, the African Perspective. We broadcast from Johannesburg in South Africa and our main aim is to provide you with news, views, knowledge and entertainment from Africa to Africans and listeners from around the world. Reporting for Channel Africa in Harare, Zimbabwe, this is Simon Muchemwa. Reporting for Channel Africa, I am Diana Wanyonye in Mombasa. For Channel Africa, I am Kumbero Munjarere in Johannesburg. Channel Africa, Kinshasa, Jean-Noel Bamweze. Reporting for Channel Africa from Zambia, I am Hilda Kekelwa. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. Thank you for joining us right here on Channel Africa, The African Perspective. Well, we're ending our Africa Month series. We know that uh, uh, this month of May, we've been looking at Africa Day. We've been looking at different themes uh, that really assert our Africanness. And today, we're ending it with looking at the transformation of the African Union since it was changed from the organization of African unity. From both our guests, Professor Idumileng Musala and Professor Dirk Katsia, it's evident that these were two organizations seems to have on the ground really have different perspectives and different ideologies as a whole. That's what I can ascertain from both of our guests. Let me bring in Manusha uh, Pillay who is joining us uh, as a stakeholder at the Human Sciences Research Council and also she was involved uh, uh, in the African Union recently and thank you for giving us your time Manusha and I'm interested in this this conversation from your perspective, someone who's worked within uh, the African Union. Do, do you see a different organization? I'm sure it is a different organization because it does have a different set of circumstances, a different set of ideals and aspirations. Um, hi, thank you for having me and um, hello to the, the other panelists. I do think it well, is a different African Union, but there is one thing that all these years later we seem not to have been able to do. When you play the clip of Julius Nyerere and when you read some of the wonderful words that presidents like Kwame Nkrumah uttered many, many years ago, we're also inspired about it. And even though the OAU has changed to the AU and many things are indeed different, we're still no closer, I think, to actually achieving those ideals. We see a lot of very nice words and a lot of very nice sentiments encapsulated in Agenda 2063 but I'm still not sure where we are in terms of implementation. Mm. And I do think that that is something we need to start paying greater attention to. 
And in terms of your current criticism of uh, what's happening in the the language around the Africa uh, Union and the 2063 agenda, it seems a lot of it is very aspirational and very long term. But the the big question that most people are asking is uh, uh, the current situations and the challenges the African Union has. Well, I think one of the things we in South Africa know all too well is something called an execution deficit. We have lots of wonderful plans which we don't actually we don't actually think through in terms of operationalizing them. And like you say, Agenda 2063 is certainly aspirational. But what are we doing in terms of the short-term and immediate gains? Are we really getting people on board? Are we? And Agenda 2063, we must remember, will be implemented by countries meaning South Africa's development will go towards Agenda 2063. What we see in Nigeria will go towards Agenda 2063. The continental plan rests on whether nations are able to uplift their development standards, their socioeconomic standards. It will rest on whether the citizens of our individual countries start to see meaningful changes in their lives. And that is something I think sometimes we expect Uh, Agenda 2063 to fix, and it's not going to fix it. Countries have to fix it. So we really need on a country level to start paying more attention to the, the countries we want with a view to the continent we want. Mm. I want to take this conversation back to you, Professor Dekutia, in terms of looking back at the OAU, because I think I want us to explore a bit later on the African Union, because when you look at the success, some people say the great successes were including drafting a convention for the protection of refugees, the introduction of the Banjul Charter on Human and People's Rights, also contributing to the struggle against apartheid in South Africa and helping to develop a sense a stronger sense of unity between North Africa and sub-Saharan states and also another outstanding moment uh, for uh, the OAU was its uh, achievements in uh, conflict resolution and I know that a lot of people uh, speak about uh, its, particip- its participation in, in, in that regard uh, from your side Dr. Kutsia what are your main areas that you highlight in terms of the successes of the OAU that we can utilize in our current uh, uh, space no, it's slightly more difficult to say about how it can be utilized in, in the mm. current situation because sure. I think, as, as most speakers have said, it, it was very much located in a historical context. Mm. Um, and its main objective was that of the liberation, supporting the liberation movements all over the continent. And in that respect, for, for example, the Liberation Committee specifically, was very successful and was uh, one of the last institutions that were actually dissolved uh, of the OAU. Um, so in that that in objectives uh, overall objective of the OAU, I think in the end they were successful about. Where they were less successful about is the ultimate integration of 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 the continent. Um, they have adopted uh, those uh, plans that you've referred to. The also the Lagos plan. Um, but ultimately, in the end, they they did not make much of, uh, progress with respect to that. And that is why in, in 1999, uh, uh, the leader of Libya, then Gaddafi, um, he convened a special meeting, a special summit session of the OAU in, in, in Libya in order to say, well, we have to do some intervention here. 
um, and not follow the the line of in, or the program of integration that was agreed upon by the OAU, but we have in a sense to circumvent or shortcut it. And that led in, in, in uh, after 1999 to the, be the beginning of the formation of the African Union. Um, so in, in, in that sense, I think what has happened is, is the OAU has established a forum for political cooperation, uh, but within, but um, amongst states. So it is not that they've over sort of reached beyond the level of states in order to reach more of what was initially referred to as, as the pan-Africanist idea of integration. So I, I think what has happened is, is that the African Union has become an, not only a successor to the OAU, but it's actually redefined the, the process within which the African con continent should continue under conditions of where most countries are at least politically independent. Economically, well, that is the big debate about what is the nature of political, of economic independence um, amongst the states with, within Africa. And, and coming to you, Professor Masala, what were your thoughts in terms of the achievements of the Organization for African Unity? Well, certainly, for me, the most critical one was uh, developing this consciousness across um, the continent that... Um, the continent is an entity uh, independent of, of other global entities and that there is need for a, for, for, for a common consciousness, common political and economic consciousness. That was the first, the first thing. I mean, African leaders started to think about themselves as part of a single continent vis-a-vis -vis other continents in the world. And it was important to do that because the continent as a whole um, was located within a global uh, political and economic uh, system at that point in time and recognizing uh, its place within that system uh, and within the hierarchy of that system was politically important. It kept the, the flame of, of liberation uh, alive. Uh, that's the one thing. But the mm. second thing was... Um, uh, just developing solidarity between the, the, the countries of Africa and, and beginning to also develop um, solidarity consciousness among the peoples and citizens mm. uh, of Africa. Younger people growing up, grew up thinking of themselves as Africans. Um, younger professionals developing, developed uh, as, as African professionals. I taught at the University of Botswana for some years, for example, and uh, one of the beautiful things about uh, uh, teaching in an African university at that time was that you had um, skills, intellectual skills being drawn in from across the continent, people in different departments coming from very different parts of the world. That had a, an important impact uh, on the young people who were developing at that time. But as Professor Kutsia pointed out very importantly, um, and you also pointed out, there were bigger issues like issues of refugees, uh, issues of, of, of rights um, uh, within the continent and rights within states mm. in the continent. And there were issues of the environment that began to, 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 to develop and to be looked at together. And there was beginning to be talk about some of the things that Nkuruma actually had in mind, issues of economic integration that began, began to, 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 to come up to uh, the higher part of the agenda of the African continent. 
Uh, so South Africa is con- concerned, for example, culminating in the development of uh, or the inauguration of SADC mm. uh, in the 1980s. This was a very, very important collaboration platform by African states in this particular region that helps to push out apartheid eventually. Mm. Manusha, coming to you, I know you are there at uh, the, a big event that's happening there in terms of uh, the same kind of theme that we're looking at today, which is uh, the African Renaissance uh, a Conference. I'm sure from an ideological perspective, really, this period of the OAU was very kind of essential in cementing Africa's Pan-African vision. Yes, certainly. And I think as um, your other two panelists have spoken about, some of the fundamental thoughts around how the continent should be going and where it should be going, I think those were cemented during that time. But again, I say, and I think a lot of um, the research and the analyses will tell us this, we may have the right thoughts, but we're not actually doing the right things. Well, I'm going to take a quick break and then we're going to look at the African Union. I know we've been looking at the OAU just to look back at some of the areas that we have been covering. But we need to to look where we are currently. But before we take a break, let's listen to the voice of the president of Zimbabwe, Robert Mugabe. He is speaking at the African Union, speaking on the issue of sanctions. But I think still think at this particular period, was in the 80s uh, when he was speaking uh, at the OAU. My country, Zimbabwe, is the innocent victim of their spiteful sanctions imposed by the United States and other Western powers and these countries for some 16 years now have maintained the sanctions on us. Good news for our listeners in America. You can now listen to Channel Africa by phoning 605-447-1711. So, if you're a Channel Africa listener in America, simply dial 605-47-1711. Channel Africa, giving you the African perspective. We have great news for you. Channel Africa has gone mobile. If you have a cell phone, you can now download the mobile app for Android. You can get it on Google Play. Get the latest news from Africa. Get the Channel Africa app. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspectives. Yes, you're listening to Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. And today we're wrapping up our uh, Africa uh, Month uh, special and uh, we're wrapping up up with looking at the African Union and also its transformation from being the organization of African unity. Remember, interact with us uh, on our uh, social media at Channel Africa 1 is the numeric one. We're asking this question there. What do you think the African Union uh, should do better to reach all? 
ordinary citizens. So what can the African Union do better to reach ordinary citizens? At Channel Africa One, that's our Twitter handle, or at African Dialogue, we want to hear from you there. Now, uh, Professor Itumileng, I'm interested in also this idea of uh, the African Union itself and uh, it's very interesting to see the figures who actually were the ones who actually kind of created that departure from the OAU. You're speaking about figures such as Tabombeki, Muammar Gaddafi, Robert Mugabe was also instrumental. How different were these leaders from the founding fathers that we've been speaking about? Well, you know, they were, in my view, the rightful heirs of um, the traditions, and they were the, the rightful successors um, of of the of the founding fathers of the OAU. Uh, they were intellectually correctly connected, they were politically and revolutionarily correctly pro- collected, but they operated in an entirely different milieu. And I am more critical, for example, today of the OU than I am of the OAU. I know that the OAU has been um, uh, an object of uh, serious uh, criticism in terms of um, uh, its shortfalls, in spite of its achievements. Uh, in, in scholarly literature, um, people thought of it very much as a, as a toothless dog. Uh, but I think if you if you take the perspective that the three of us have taken, the four of us have mm. taken in this discussion this morning, you will realize that uh, people are on meeting to 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 assess it in the light of the circumstances in which uh, it came into being, in the light of the the nature of the forces it was mm. dealing with. Um, the OU, on the other hand, had the benefit uh, uh, of a newer generation of leaders mm. who had benefited from uh, a vision that they had derived from the long history of anti-colonial struggle. But their failures are deeper, in my view. Deeper, for example, uh, from failing to see uh, or to, 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 from failing to articulate their analysis from the point of view of an Africa that had been integrated over the years mm. into a, 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 a global a capitalist system and that you have to take into account in the first place before mm. you can do anything uh, in response to it. Um, the failure, for example, to recognize that um, there is a big contradiction on the continent uh, between the African bourgeoisie that has been delivered by neocolonialism on the one hand and the African proletariat and peasant classes mm. um, that have been created by, by the impact of capitalism. And all of the, program of the uh, programs of the OU completely ignore um, how Africa was integrated into a world system that was meant to underdevelop it in the first place. Mm. And so they come up with all these glorious projects that actually mean nothing in the end. Mm. Manusha, your, your thoughts on the different style of leadership from the Tabombeki area onwards of the African Union? I think there's a cliche that leaders come in a time, but then they are enabled by their circumstances and their people. Mm. I think we must also understand that, that times have really changed. And when I think people are increasingly restless, 
And when we, when I, when we, when continuously people harken back to the fact that there must be implementation, I think we're starting to see an increased sense of urgency. But I do think that leaders must prepare. You be, you prepare to lead. Mm. Don't just become a leader. And that is something I think on a leadership level we need to start spending a little bit more time on. But in the very strenuous economic conditions and the fact that people are, I don't think the citizens of our continent are going to just keep quiet for much longer and say, it's okay, we know there's an ideal oh. of pan-Africanism. Mm. So I, I must okay. say that I do think leaders have, have, have different demands. Mm. But I do think that we can no longer say that, that there's an African way of doing things. That African way of doing things must begin to respond to the needs of our people. Mm. Uh, Professor Dukutse, let me come to you in, in terms of your ideas of these leaders. I know there was a time when Gaddafi was speaking about one currency on the African continent. There was a lot of uh, conversations around that issue of, of the one currency, almost trying to uh, re, un, resurface that idea of uh, uh, this uh, African unity that was from the Organization of African Unity. Yes, that is indeed so, um, and, th- and that was a, a major part of the debate um, during the, transform- or the form, uh, transition from the OAU to the African Union. Um, his idea was that of a very much an integrated Africa, almost similar to that of Nkrumah of the United States of Africa. He spoke about the idea of a, a union government. Gaddafi. Uh, uh, he even invited our Dr. Lamini Zuma to be the Minister of Foreign Affairs, you know, as sort of preparing for that. On the other hand, was President Mbeki was in favour of a looser form um, of state formations, uh, almost the type of something between a, a, a federation and a confederation. Um, and and therefore, in the end, well, the, the ideas of President Mbeki mm-hmm. prevailed. What we are seeing now more um, is the fact is more of an emphasis on the different regions within Africa, and therefore the regional economic communities like SADC here in Southern Africa, ECOWAS in West Africa, the East African Community, then the Maghreb Union in the North, uh, and the Central African Association of States, they have become very prominent. If we think about events. Um, or developments in West Africa, then mm. it's almost first that ECOWAS response, um, mm. Mm. whether it was the the, the, the wars in uh, Sierra Leone or in Liberia, mm. then mm. it was ECOMOC that went there and sent peace um, uh, troops, um, and it was not so much the African Union. So it looks like, if you look, for example, also the way in which reporting is made to, to NEPOT, that the, the main focus is on the regions and the regional organizations, and they then collectively constitute either NEPOT or the African Peer Review Mechanism or the African Union itself. So it seems, it's seen as almost um, a collection of regional organizations that almost automatically then is supposed to constitute the African Union. So the integration process or the pan-Africanist, pan-Africanist idea is not therefore from the top, but rather from below, which is different from the approach of Gaddafi or the older leaders of Mm. Nkrumah and others, of that it should be at the center that this decision should be taken, and then it will be 
sort of filtering through to the bottom. And I think that's the two main differences in approach that we've seen over the years. Mm. I want to read something that uh, I had from George's uh, Nzongola uh, at uh, Laja, who is uh, an academic and professor of African and African-American diaspora studies at the University of North Carolina. And uh, he was highlighting something at the end of the piece that he wrote for The Guardian. Uh, title is The African Union Equipped to Serve Africa's People for Another uh, 50 Years highlighting the fact that, uh, let me quote him, this is the heart of the AU's future. Its neoliberal development program, NAPERD, is less suited to the needs of workers and peasants than the more comprehensive development strategy of the Lagos Plan of Action adopted in the 1980s. As an organization that reflects the social character of the states composing it, most of which are under authoritarian rulers who cling to power through force and electoral fraud, the AU is ill-equipped to meet people's aspirations for democracy and social progress. Uh, let me close that quote by George Zongola and uh, Taj there. And, and that seems to be a very critical point he's highlighting there. That was both asserted by Manusha and uh, uh, Professor Musala, uh, Professor Dukutsia. The fact that it seems very much that the programs of the African Union have a highbrow nature to it. Yes, that is so. And and again, one can return to, to President Mbeki because he sort of introduced, for example, NETPOT and some of the others with some other um, leaders from especially Nigeria and Senegal and so on. Um, and it is he was accused, of, especially within South Africa, but also outside South Africa, that in a sense it was almost a duplication of the gear policy within South Africa, which was very much criticized as a, as a neoliberal macroeconomic framework, especially from the left left within South Africa. Many other persons in, in other parts, other African countries, did exactly the same, to say that Nepal, in a sense, was uh, at the, the similar points of departure, and it was in, more aimed at trying to integrate Africa into the global economy than than the reverse that mm-hmm. Africa should take benefit from what it, its new economic position um, and that it should also define its own rules of the game um, and I think that is why we are to some extent why we are seeing that mm-hmm. Nepal is not a very active uh, macroeconomic framework anymore and even the, the organization that was established or the secretariat that was established is not so prominent as in the past. Um, and it is because it does not, the, 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 the persons, the citizens in the different countries don't really see the impact of it. They don't see the consequences of it. They don't see how their national states are really related to the bigger AU plans and that there is some correlation between the two and, and ultimately benefit in terms of policy as well as the implementation of those policies. Mm. Uh, just your final sentiments, Professor Dumileng Musala. Uh, the question that we're asking on our social media is, uh, do we think that the African Union can actually reach ordinary citizens? That's the big question right now, the relevance of uh, the African Union. No, I don't think so. I, I think because the, the OU... Um, like its predecessor, the OAU, even though the OAU had a different mission and a different political uh, uh, intention. Um, but like it, um, it has never dealt with the fundamental contradiction, which is the, the neo-colonial settlement mm. um, that, that were accepted by all the African states 
uh, at independence. You see, neoliberal policies are not only being applied to to Africa or to African countries. They are being applied in the UK, they are being applied in Europe, they are being adopted in the the US. They are failing everywhere, of course. But we are are neoliberal because we are neocolonial. So that makes our position particularly more difficult. Mm. You know, we still have the, the neo-colonial condition, which is a problem by itself. Uh, but on top of that, we then adopt through the OU neoliberal policies to try and deal with inherited neo-colonial problems. And that's making the situation much, much, much. So mm. the only thing that can solve our problem is revolution, I'm afraid. Mm. Manusha, your final sentiments, just in 30 seconds. Do you think we can actually uh, re- re-establish this organization for it to be more people-centric as it was initially intended to be? I think it must become more people-centric. This continent is about our people, and we must. For sure. Thank you so much uh, uh, for our guests, uh, keeping it nice and sweet there and short, uh, Manusha, there that it is a determined. It's something that we should be determined uh, to do. It uh, should be a determination, rather. Manusha Pillay, thank you for giving us your time, Director of Stakeholder Relations and Communications at Human Sciences Research Council. Uh, joining us there at the African Renaissance uh, uh, Conference that is uh, taking place. He's also with, uh, uh, she's also with Professor Dumeleng Musala there, who's an ex president of the Zanian People's Organization. Thank you as well to Professor Dirk Kutsia, who is uh, from the School of Political Science at UNISA. Thank you all for giving us your time. Let's quickly move on. Get our business news from Wisani Matebula. Morning, thanks, Benjamin. Global ratings agencies have urged South Africa's ruling ANC leadership to communicate clear messages on economic growth and calm fears over policy uncertainty. ANC leaders have met with all three rating agencies, Moody's, Feech, and Standard & Poor's, following the investment downgrades to junk status. Briefing the media in John Isbeck, Secretary General of the ANC, Gwede Mantashe, was co- says commitment to fiscal procedure is what is needed. In doing that, we always come to a point that says we should not do things for the rating agents. We must do what is right for the country, where we commit mistakes. Let's correct those mistakes because rating agents are rating us on the work we are doing. If they talk of political uncertainty, they will talk about the reshuffle, they will talk about that, they will talk about a number of issues in the political space and we must correct all those issues that are highlighted. And British Airways says it will operate a full flight schedule from London's two main airports. It is the first time since a computer failure disrupted its flights around the world. All services using the Heathrow and Gatwick airports were cancelled on Saturday. Controversial South African ESCOM CEO Brian Mulife is part of the power utilities leadership that is appearing before the Standing Committee on Public Accounts. They're discussing the report of PricewaterhouseCoopers on coal supply agreements between ESCOM and the Gupta-owned Tageta Mining. MPs are probing how ESCOM's contract with Tageta was structured and managed. Mulife explained that uh, the contract was signed before his time at the power utility. 
Just to put everything in perspective with respect to Tegeta, the engagement with Tegeta on the Brackfon Colliery and the discussions with Tegeta about their contract on the Brackfontein Colliery actually started in May 2013. The negotiations went on for about two years and the contract was signed in March 2015. I must indicate here, Chair, that there has also a lot been written that I was personally involved in that in those negotiations and in that contract. I wasn't. It was signed in March 2015. I arrived at ESCOM in April 2015. Botswana's largest tourism company, Walden Safaris, plans to make a bid for Air Botswana, the country's loss-making national airline, which uh, the government wants to privatize. Botswana put the airline up for sale in February, part of plans to privatize loss-making state-owned entities. The transport department said at the time it will consider full bids for Air Botswana, as well as joint ventures, ownership, franchising and concessions. And Gambia's agriculture sector needs to be reformed to bring back the cooperative societies which had helped the tremendous development of the sector in the 60s. The agriculture ministry says that the revival of the cooperative societies will boost the groundnut sector and bring back cotton farming like the early days when the North Bank region used to be the commercial center for agriculture. Now, your financial indicators. The dollar, 12.90 to the South African rand, 10.13, Botswana Pula, and 9.20, Zambian Guacha. Also trading at 0.77 to the British pound and 0.89 against the euro. The commodities market, gold is at $1,269 and platinum almost 1000 at $955 per fine ounce. And uh, the price of Brent crude oil at $52.36 per barrel. That's how it's looking right now. At the back of this, we've got Fiki Lelingwati with your sports update. First up in our sports update this hour, we kick off with football news. Zambia and African football legend Kalusha Buala says the future of the football game is bright on the African continent. Buala was speaking after the Malian side claimed a 1-0 win over Ghana to defend their under-17 CAF Africa Cup of Nations crown. Although a number of national teams in the continent are struggling to produce results on the field of play, Buala believes there is a bright future ahead. Guinea claimed the bronze medal after beating Niger 3-1 in the third-place payoff at the weekend. On to rugby news. South Africa's utility Sharks back Kevin Bosch has a bright future, even though he is still a teenager. Already, Springbok coach Alistair Kutsier has said that he is looking at using him in the national team's third test match against France in the upcoming series. The game is scheduled for the day before Bosch's 20th birthday and less than a week after Bosch and the junior box return from the junior world championship. Bosch says for now all his focus is on giving his all for the junior box in Georgia. Yeah, you know, it's, it's always nice to hear these things, um, of course. But um, like I said, you know, for me, it's all about the junior spring box now. Um, I think I think they deserve to, to get my full uh, potential and, and my best. Um, and I think that's, that's all I can give at the moment. I'm not too worried about what's going to happen after that. For now, it's just um, focusing on our first game against France and, and, and doing well and doing my best for the team.
the junior box, kick off their junior world championships campaign against France on Wednesday before tackling host Georgia as well as Argentina in the remaining two group fixtures. Boss says his focus is not on his own performance but on helping the team win. Yeah, most definitely. Um, it's, it's always great seeing South African rugby players, especially young players, doing well. Um, with that being said, you know, if you mention the guys like Andre Pollard, um, those are the guys um, who stood out in a team that did well. So, so like I said earlier as well, you know, for me, it's it's, it's about the team doing well, and and, and of course, in that um, individuals will stand out. I think uh, for for any rugby player, um, you want to do well and, and and put your name out there. But I think if you, if you look at the bigger picture and, and, and look at, at what you want to achieve in the long run, I think these are just little little things um, in your path um, going in your path going to the top. Um, but like you said, uh, you, you know, rugby players want to put their names out there, and and, and, and I'm sure one of them. But um, for me, it's it, it's all about uh, being a team player and and, and contrib- contributing as much as I can towards the team um, in order for myself to rise. In tennis news, Rafael Nadal began his quest for a 10th French Open title with a straightforward 6-1, 6-4, 6-1 victory over Benoit Baire after racing through the first set. Things became a little sticky for Nadal in the second against his unpredictable French opponent. Let's hear from Nadal and what he has made of his first round victory. No, it's, always, it's always that it's a good start, no? Happy for, for the victory. It was not... Uh... An easy opponent in the first round, obviously, is an uncomfortable opponent that already he had some good victories this year. So I came on court with a lot of respect. No? I think I played a great first set, and in the second I suffered a little bit, especially with the 4-3 uh, red point. And after that I make the break uh, straight and then finish close the set, and then it was a little bit less difficult. That's your sport news this hour. Well, uh, that's how we wrap up our Africa Month edition and our series uh, this month here on African uh, Dialogue. Hey, let's wrap it up with this uh, uh, quote from Julius Nyerere. I think it's very much uh, required in these times. It's, it says that unity will not make us rich, but it can make it difficult for Africa and the African peoples to be disregarded and humiliated. Uh, Julius Nyerere continues to say, and it will therefore increase the effectiveness of the decisions we make and try to implement for our development. My generation led Africa to political freedom. The current generation of leaders and peoples of Africa must pick up the flickering torch of African freedom, refuel it with the enthusiasm and determination and carry it forward. Those is the voice of Julius Nyerere. But to keep with this theme, I think the voice of Bob Marley is also very much relevant in this conversation. We'll end with his music. This one is titled Africa Unite.
How could you end up blessed? 